Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before we get started with today's show, I just wanted to give some love to everyone out there that's been listening to the show over the past year. Uh, We did 82 of these episodes in 2016, and the only reason we were able to do that was ultimately because you guys kept listening, sharing, and helping do your part to keep the dream alive. Uh, I'm excited to see what 2017 has in store for the show. Hopefully, we'll be able to stay on this upward trajectory and keep doing bigger and better things with it. I know a lot of you have done this already, but if you haven't, I'd really appreciate if you took a minute or two to go rate and review the show on iTunes. I know it might seem inconsequential or unimportant, but you know all of those ratings and reviews matter and add up, and that sort of stuff really matters to my bosses. So once again, thanks for listening this year. Um, try to do our best to keep the, keep the good times going in 2017. And with all that out of the way, let's get to the show. Progressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me is old reliable Chris Johnston. Chris, what's going on, man? Not too much. Uh, even reliable during the holidays. Yes, yes, you are. Um, so this is the last podcast we're going to be doing in, in 2016, and I thought it'd be um, a fun exercise for us to do a, a mid-season awards type show. Um, we can just kind of like put in a little time capsule after this and then revisit it later in 2017 and see how much things have changed. But I thought you'd be the right man to have on since you actually do have a vote. So it'd be kind of fun. We did this last year together. We can kind of go back and forth and, and see what we agree on, what we disagree on, and, and where things are trending moving forward. Love it. Let's do it. Um, so let's let's start with a couple sort of we'll do the individual awards in a bit, but I thought it'd be kind of interesting to start off with having a discussion about the most surprising from a positive perspective and then the most surprising in terms of being disappointing teams. And let's start with the disappointing ones. I think that, um, tell me which team you think has been the most disappointing this season. For me, it's, it's probably the Tampa Bay lightning. Mm -hmm. Um, just because we're talking about a team that, that, most people, if you look, pick to, to be in the Stanley Cup or win the Stanley Cup. And, you know, they may still get there. And I know they've had some injuries which have impacted their performance. But, you know, they weren't really doing all that great even when Steven Stamkos was healthy. And, um, you know, I, again, I, I do think uh, if I was betting that, that they could turn it around and, and get into the playoffs, as, as we're talking right now, they're actually on the outside looking in. But, 
Um, you know, there was huge expectations there. I still, I still think there are, and uh, they haven't really delivered to this point. Yeah, I mean the the positive thing that they have working for them is this Atlantic Division, where I'm not necessarily very sold on on the Ottawa Senators. I'm, I think the the Canadians and the and the Bruins are going to be in the playoffs for, from that division. But I mean, even if the Metro takes the five the five spots with the two wild cards, it still leaves that third Atlantic Division spot open, and you've got all those teams. It's just like going to be like it's going to be one of the most interesting races heading into the second half. And if the Lightning can finally get to get get healthy, they just got Kucherov and Palat back, which is huge. And hopefully Stamkos will eventually come back and they can start sort of playing together and, and, and reaching that upside that, that we think they have. But yeah, it's weird. Like I, I, I had them and the Dallas Stars as my two most disappointing teams. And they're very similar in the sense that they're both on the outside looking in right now, which is very surprising based on how they played last year and what we thought they did yeah. this season. Uh, they've both been devastated by injuries, particularly up front. And they're both very mediocre this season, just kind of hovering around that 49 to 50 percent mark in terms of shots and goals and expected goals at five on five and it's just unfamiliar territory for these two teams yeah and you know the lightning let's remember like they they were in the cup final and in game seven of the eastern conference final i mean i don't think anyone would have thought that they would have the struggles they've had so far and 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 obviously injuries play a key factor steven stamkos was having a monster start to his season Mm -hmm. uh when when he suffered that injury but I don't know. You just wonder if there's something else going on. I mean, their blue line, uh, they had Strawman out for a time, and I know that was very tough. Uh, the right side in particular of their blue line uh, was difficult. But, you know, I would think that they're going to be a team that's pretty active leading up to the trade deadline because they do kind of have this window. Obviously, they, they, they've had to do some maneuvering to sign the players they have. They've got a few other guys to sign this summer, and, and you know, they're kind of in a win-now sort of mode. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like we had this exact same discussion last year. Obviously, they had much more uncertainty with the upcoming free agents, but it's still sort of the same thing where it's this young, exciting team that's sort of been on the edge there for the past few seasons, but you can't just really kind of take it for granted and be like, well, just because they're young, they have time in the future. Like You should try to be winning right now with this group, so it's going to be fascinating to see how they approach it, whether they go all in and, and try to make some trades for now or whether they kind of take a bigger, bigger view approach. Exactly. What are you, what are you, what are you doing back there, CJ? It sounds uh, you're like you're moving I just around. got some coffee, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> I just went and poured some coffee. We're recording this early in the morning, at least West Coast time here, so uh, so I'll give you a pass for that. Um, yeah, the, the Nashville Predators were the other team I had on this list, but they've been playing much better since that early funk, so they're a little, a little bit of an honorable mention just because of... I feel like they had such crazy high expectations uh, heading into the season, and they haven't necessarily li- lived up to it yet, but I'm, I'm still pretty optimistic about them moving forward. Yep, don't have any real complaints there. They actually look like they're playing pretty well, all yep. things considered. It just uh, don't have the the results yet that they would want. Yep, I'm buying that. Um, okay, let's uh, let's let's put a more positive spin on this. Let's go with the most surprising uh, from a positive perspective. Um, who do you have here? Uh, I, I'm firing the cannon and saying the Columbus Blue Jackets, yes. just because you know there's no way no one expected this. I mean, top of the league at this point. Uh, even in I know inside their their team that they didn't. I don't think they were feeling that good at all, to be honest, about their team heading into the year. But, you know, everything's clicked. Uh, they've got a great blue line. I think that that's probably driven a lot of help drive a lot of their success and obviously uh, received some good goaltending, and it feels like everyone's scoring on that power play. But, um, you know, to me, they're they're by far the biggest surprise of, of the year. And, 
you know, you have to conclude based on how they've started. It, w- it would be uh, shocking now if they don't make the playoffs. I mean, they put so many points in the bank that even if they, they do have some regression coming, uh, you know, they're, they're very well positioned to, to be in the playoffs. And I didn't see too many people calling that earlier on in the year. Yeah, yeah, I have them as my number one surprising team as well. And and the, where I'm at with them right now, it's, it's a very hot button issue. It's it's kind of reminds me of the Florida Panthers last year, roughly around this time as well, where they started playing much better, and then they rattled off that 12 game win streak, I believe. And you know there was a there was a crowd that viewed that win streak and went, oh, you know they're amazing, they're one of the best teams in the league. And then there was that kind of put, ensuing pushback of people being like, well, actually, their you know their underlying numbers are aren't that good they're not you know they're not going to keep winning 12 games in a row and yeah it's pretty clear in in today's NHL it's very tough to sustain that sort of a winning streak and it's generally a combination of talent and luck but I think if you look at the Blue Jackets there's a couple things they do pretty well I mean Bobrovsky as long as he's healthy um, is has played as one of the best goalies in the league and and should give them a chance to win on a nightly basis their five on five play has definitely improved where it's not at least not a liability anymore at least they're slightly above league average and that power top power play unit is is lethal right now so i think that combination of things all you you put that all together and it's it's a pretty good recipe exactly and you know there's just no one that that matches them for that surprise I thought it was funny, too, Dimitri. I don't know if you remember earlier in the year when uh, John Tortorella went on his Corsi rant. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I heard that that was because he got sort of some internal uh, notes or whatever, and, and the team was was doing pretty well at that point, good start, but but that was essentially saying that they were due for a fall-off, and he didn't like that very much. So <laughs> he, went on, he went on a Corsi rant, but I think he pays attention to this a lot more than he would let on. Yeah, I believe it. Um, the other team that I had as an honorable mention here is the Boston Bruins, and the results themselves haven't necessarily come yet, but uh, they're currently leading the league right now in pretty much every single five-on-five shot metric. And I just looked at sort of historically, um, they're hovering around that 55, 56% mark. And you look at all the teams that have done that since 2007, and there's a lot of cup winners and conference finalists at the very least. And I think um, the only team that was in that mix that didn't make the conference final was the 07-08 Sharks, and they lost in the second round. So I'm not necessarily saying that this Bruins team is going to have a long playoff run, but I think that they're sort of lurking there in, in that Atlantic division. Oh, that's a good one. I hadn't uh, really thought of them. Um, what about Minnesota in, in the West? I mean, I know they're also riding one of these these great win streaks that might make things look better than they actually are. But Well, I, I think that... You know, they seem to be getting some results there. Well, I was pretty high on them heading into the season. The the one thing that scared me off a little bit was that I thought that the Central Division would be really good. There was what four or five teams there that uh, were all kind of you know had the had the upside to be very scary opponents. But you know the Bruce Boudreau edition was huge, and they have a pretty deep team where they can roll four lines and three pairs without much of a drop off, and they can all skate and, and play a pretty skilled brand of hockey. So I was pretty high on them. Um, I, I I agree. This winning streak has sort of skewed things, and I think that there are some more red flags it's funny i think that you know the for all the flack the columbus blue jackets get as, as being sort of fraudulent during this winning streak i think that they're much more legit than this minnesota wild team is currently oh that's interesting uh, it's funny people react to that stuff they don't like hearing it but you know it's, it's just only fair to, to look and we're trying to decide what's real right mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out you know what what you know what is what's going to continue and 
you're right. Maybe that they, they will have more of a fall off than Columbus does. Well, yeah. I mean, there, there's two ways to approach this stuff, right? We can give them credit for what they've done already. They've banked these wins, but it also is our job to sort of try and figure out what's going to happen next rather than just chasing our tails the entire time. Right. So we won't plan the, the cup parade there just yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd hold off on that. Um, okay. Let's get into the, let's get into the individual awards here. Um, let's blast through a couple of these, uh, easy ones just because I don't think that we have to spend too much time on it, but um, let's do the Jack Adams. Uh, and I don't know. What are you doing with this award right now? Well, because I don't get to actually vote on this one. And I think I'm in the same camp as you. Uh, I'm going to give it to Mike Sullivan, mm-hmm. uh, who's just doing a good job coaching a good team um, because, you know, we don't see that go that way in the voting very much, but, you know, he's he's done a phenomenal job, and, and right now I, I would have him as, as my pick. Yeah, I think Sullivan's definitely in that mix. I have like three or four guys there. It's funny, you know, Tortorella and Brudro we just talked about. I, I think they have to be up here just based on how their teams have been playing and how they've been exceeding expectations, and that's what this award really is about, right? It's like what where the team was at heading into the season and where they're at now, and sort of you just attribute that to the coach, even if it's not necessarily fully deserved. Like all, It's generally the players and the goalies. But I think uh, Claude Julien as well, I, I just discussed the Bruins, has to be up there. And I think that those four guys are sort of in their own little tier, and then you can kind of quibble with, with the semantics of it. I see the Bruins are your darling team now, aren't they? Well, I, I just think they're, it's interesting. They're not getting talked about much. You know, they haven't had a lot of luck in terms of generating some of those shots into goals. And, yeah, they're kind of lurking there in Atlantic Division. And then people are talking a lot about the other teams there. But I think that, you know, they have a chance if, especially if they kind of start having a bit more uh, good fortune with puck bounces here, that they could uh, put something special together. Right. And notice that the, the local coverage has been very kind of alarmist that, that they're down on this team. So, you know, maybe they're in for a good second half and, and you will have seen it first. Yeah. Um, the Lady Bing. Um, I, I, do we just like sort by the lowest penalty minute totals here? Like, I, I, like, I don't even really understand the, the, the point of this award. <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, I, I believe part of it, and I, I don't have the description right in front of me, is sort of gentlemanly player who plays at a high level kind of uh, <laughs> to, to get to it. So, you know, normally when you're picking it, I just look at players that, that didn't take a lot of penalties that had a pretty good season. And that's why I think, you know, you saw Marty San Louis win it a lot late in his career. Um, so it's not necessarily the guy who ends up with just two as opposed to someone with six. Um, but I didn't even look at it for this for today. So who, who's your pick? Austin Matthews, maybe. I don't think he's barely taken any penalties. Well, the, the interesting thing for me, and, you know, we generally don't see defensemen win this award, I feel like, but... Uh, I, I was I just basically sorted by the most ice time and then the least penalty minutes just to kind of see if yeah. there was some some crazy outliers there and and both Oscar Clefbaum and John Carlson are you know they're trending towards like roughly six hundred five on five minutes so far without a single penalty which I think is Im- impressive just in the sense that you think that you know both guys are either top pairing or at least top four on their team and play heavy minutes against really good competition and you'd figure that there'd be an occasion where they're like boxing someone out in front of the net or something and they they would have to take a guy down and and it's i guess it's you know it might just be one of those things where in the next 20 games they could just have a rattle off a bunch of penalties and be eliminated from this discussion but so far it's 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 kind of crazy that they haven't taken a single one yet yeah i mean even just getting frustrated right getting beat out of a corner or doing something in the heat of the moment i mean that's for a defenseman i think it's even tougher i mean a winger you cannot take penalties by uh, i think a little easier than, than than someone who's trying to protect the goalie more more sort of as part of your job description. Yep. 
Um, okay, now we're getting into the good stuff. Let's do the uh, let's do the selkie. And I think that the interesting debate here isn't necessarily who's going to win it, but who we put as our third guy on this list because it's pretty much going to be Bergeron and Kopitar. I feel like one two until they feel like they don't want to. Like I feel like just till the end of time, it's going to be Bergeron and Kopitar one two, and we're just flipping a coin. Yeah, and this year, man, Bergeron looks like he's been having a great year with some of the numbers. Yep. So. I mean, that, that's probably helping drive your excitement for the Bruins. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, that Bergeron-Marchand pairing is just, I feel like people recognize how good they are, and it helps that Marchand got a little bit of that credit with his contract extension this summer and the way he played um, on the national stage in the World Cup. But I still feel like it's kind of overlooked just how insanely dominant that pairing is. And I think Kopitar fits into this in a well, uh, in, into this bucket as well, just in the sense that, you know, if you look at Bergeron and Kopitar's numbers, they haven't really been producing much. I think Bergeron has something like five goals and 10 points in 35 yeah. games this year. And, and Kopitar has, I think, three goals himself. And it's really hard to find top guys like this that can have those sorts of offensive numbers, but still have it not necessarily really matter just because, the teams are having such a crazy high volume of shots whenever they're on the ice that, you know, they're just like not really giving up goals against when they're out there. So like they're just tilting the ice com- completely in their own team's favor and just doing so much for them in that regard. So it's, um, it's been impressive. So I, I have, I have Bergeron slightly ahead of Kopitar right now, but I think that the drop off between Kopitar and whoever is third is much bigger than the, you know, the difference between one and two. That's fair. They're very, very fair. So who who would you even like? Who would we even have? I feel like we have to have a third guy here. I think like maybe someone like Ryan Kessler was third, for example. Would we just by default put him in again? Because like a guy like Couturier would have seemed like an obvious fit here, but he's only played like twenty games this season, so we kind of have to scratch him off. Do you know who I was wondering about? And I haven't heard a lot of talk about him, but it looked to me like Jordan Stahl's having a pretty good yep. year in Carolina. I mean, I don't know if he rises all the way to third in in the Selkie voting, but. I, you know, he's he's to me he should be on the radar as someone who's having a really good year helping the Hurricanes who, you know, we've talked about a lot when I've been on uh, should probably be having a better season than they are in the in the standings. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I wonder about Jordan Stahl. You know, what about Sidney Crosby? Would he ever fit somewhere into this? I know it's it's a personal bugaboo for him that he, he feels he's overlooked somewhat. Yeah, well, I think he finished in like the top ten in this voting last year, I believe. But no, you're 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 right. I mean, we had this discussion with a guy like Joe Thornton last year, where right. you know, there's these guys where you don't necessarily think of them as being these sort of two way centers with an emphasis on defense, which is what this award technically is. But like, if you have the puck in the other team's end of the ice very frequently, that's another form of being good on D. So I think that you know when Crosby's out there, the Penguins are generally controlling play and, and doing things in the offensive zone. So yeah, he's, he's one of their best defensive players just by that. Now, candidly, Dimitri, when I, when I vote on this award at the end of each year, it's, it's, I would say it's the toughest one usually for me to, to come up with my final list. And, you know, do you have any suggestions for, you know, process ways that I could go about evaluating this when I, when I have to do it? I mean, right now it, it's, I look at a lot of the, the simple sort of, if we want to still call them underlying numbers, uh, that I understand. I, I talk to some scouts and, and people that I lean on for all of my awards just to help sort of just see, round out my opinion or bounce my ideas off. But, you know, is there any other way that you think that we should determine the order of, of who wins this award? Because it is kind of a general 
uh, description, best defensive forward. Yeah, we don't, we don't, it's not very cut and dried. And I think that there isn't necessarily just sort of one metric you could look at and be like, well, this guy's the best in this. So he must be the, the, the clear cut winner here. I think that right. you got to kind of take the whole resume into account. Um, we know that I, I, I had Micah on the podcast last week and we discussed this where it's not necessarily, you know, we thought for a while that quality competition was the most important thing, but we sort of have come to realize that we at least have to factor in quality of teammates as well because that sort of stuff uh, influences the underlying metrics quite a bit so I think you got to just like look at a little bit of everything take a sampling of their entire uh, resume or the entire portfolio and, and try to figure it out from there but I mean you know Bergeron and Kopitar make it pretty pretty easy for us here and then you just got to kind of uh, fill in the third guy I think that the the curious thing is I don't know like what is it going to take for us to get a winger into this discussion I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's going to happen, does it? I mean, yeah. if, if Marion Hossa didn't ever really end up, you know, as a serious player in it, it's, you know, it's hard to, is Yuri Lettinen the last guy who did it? I mean, I think so, yeah. It just doesn't seem to happen. People seem to value, you know, face-offs weirdly in this. I think that that's what some people look at. Um, there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of those sort of things that just seem to discount a, a winger's ability to to make any meaningful impact in, in the voting. Yeah, Hossa should should have gotten much more love here over the years than he has. So I guess if he didn't, uh, it's going to be tough to make an argument for anyone else. Um, let's, uh, let's get into the Calder and there's, uh, there's a, there's a bunch of guys here, man. This is a, this is a pretty good class. We've been pretty blessed with the, uh, the young talent that's come into the league this season. Yeah. Not only it's a good class, but a lot of these guys are trending for kind of historical benchmarks that you can say, you know, a rookie hasn't done this since, basically Crosby or Ovechkin when it comes to scoring, like uh, Line and Matthews. Yep. Uh, you know, Zach Wierenski is on a crazy pace uh, offensively for a defenseman that's in a rookie. You know, even Matt Murray still qualifies as a, as a rookie as in, in goaltending. I mean, uh, there's this is going to be probably a benchmark kind of class. I think that a lot of the players that shine in this season will uh, be the stars in the years to come. And, you know, that that's kind of a pretty cool historical precedent and we're gonna have to figure out which one deserves the the number one spot yeah i think uh right now austin matthews has the inside track just because of how big of an impact he's had in you know like line a for example has been scoring a lot of goals and producing a lot of offense but he's still isn't he's it's not even not even that he's not a possession driver but he's actually been sinking the jets a bit when he's been on the ice in terms of shot attempts so i think that you know matthews gets an edge there and i think that the fascinating thing with a guy like matthews is you look and he has zero secondary assists at five on five this season whereas a guy like marner has five and i think that you know even if you can get a couple of those just cheap ones as the year goes along it'll sort of make his entire resume look that much better just you know when you look at the point total point total and you just go like whoa that's that's really impressive so i think that you know matthews should even get a bit more fortunate as the season goes along there if he keeps just putting the puck on the net as much as he has so far yeah and and, you know he's had a good december which which sort of makes it easier i think for uh looking at the vote totals because he's he's very close and i think he's slightly ahead of line a in points per game just behind him in goals per game and you know, so the, the sort of arguments that were that were being built. I know Gary Lawless wrote a column that got a lot of attention uh, about Line A Matthews. I yep. mean, I, to me, those those arguments have been wiped away because Matthews essentially is producing at the same level in a, in a much tougher spot in the lineup. And he's and he's you know he's really the least best player. There's not to me to my eyes anyway. I watched the, the team a lot. I live in Toronto and. Um, you know, I, I just think that he's had even more of an impact than I expected. I can't believe the number of shots 
he just generates game after game after game, which is what makes you think, you know, his, his 17 goals at this stage of the season is looks relatively sustainable because he's not he's not riding a crazy high shooting percentage or anything to get them. Yeah, you know, it looks it looks uh, totally legit. I think that you know. For the Calder purposes, not necessarily just for their careers, but for, for, for this year's voting, I think the more interesting debate is a guy like Line and whether he's going to be able to score enough goals where it's going to be just such an overwhelming uh, resume for him versus the defenseman you mentioned with Wierenski and Provorov because... You know, I, you can make the argument that whether whether you like Wierenski or Provorov more, that they should be the second uh, guy behind Matthews in this voting right now. Oh, man, you're going to anger the people in Winnipeg saying that to the Well... <sighs> I think I think it's a it's it's a it's a fair discussion to have and and I think even the Borensky versus Provorov one is, is is fascinating to me because you know Borensky's gotten much more attention with the power play production and and how well Columbus has been playing but man you watch Provorov and and he seems like I think that he could be even better than Borensky he might not be as flashy and he might not have as many highlight real plays but you know if you're if you're one of these kind of hockey purists that you just love simple things like a guy just absolutely destroying a forecheck by himself or or making these simple little plays to get out of his own zone Provorov is is already such a treat to watch it's amazing too that they all went in the first couple of picks in that that same draft along with Noah Hannafin, yep. who obviously isn't a rookie this year. But you know, you get a sense that these three guys will kind of be measured against one another for for years to come, just because you know there was some interesting wheeling and dealing going on. You know, the the Blue Jackets tried to trade up to get Hannafin. Uh, they ended up obviously staying where they were, and I think they're pretty happy as they sit here today uh, with Wierenski and you know just just kind of the way that draft fell and and to have such top end guys come out of it's a pretty good start the interesting thing about Provorov is um he's been really good with everyone except Andrew McDonald and now they're playing those two together a lot and I remember last year when the same thing happened with uh with Shane Gostisbehere and I I, I don't know I I feel like Dave Axel is just like hazing these guys a little bit just making them earn earn their keep in the league but like you have to pass through the test of playing with Andrew McDonald before you get to uh ride off into the sunset Right, life's pretty good. You get to stay in the Ritz Carlton every night when you're on the road, but you have to you have to endure some <laughs> tough minutes on on the ice to to prove your worth, I guess. Yeah. Um, and the, the, I wanted to give a lo- some love to a couple other guys here. Um, Matthew Kachuk deserves some credit. Um, you know, the the Backlund Froley Kachuk line has been rocking like a, a plus ten uh, Corsi relative as a unit, and they're right there with the the Bergeron, Marsha, and Pasternak line as one of the biggest difference makers uh, in the league in terms of just like what what the team does when they're on the ice versus when they're on the bench. So, um, Matt, Kachuk's been surprising. I, I think that you know. Heading into the season, everyone believed that, or heading into the draft process, everyone was like discussing how he was going to be a pretty NHL ready guy and, and how he could step in right away. But it's still always reassuring to see a guy to actually come into the league and do it right away. Yeah. You know, he, and, you know, where he's going to get hurt, obviously, is just the points because uh, he's actually had a good season that way, but but it's not going to compare likely to Matthews and Lina. Even a guy like Mitch Marner will probably end up ahead of him in the rookie scoring race, and I think a lot of people will, will you know kind of put their votes around those sorts of things. Yep, yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, the Norris. Uh, this award, in my opinion, had at least at this point, is Brent Burns's to lose. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. He's like, I've got him one, two, and three on my list. <laughs> it's funny. This award is always where it seems like the battle lines get drawn yep. on the Norris. I mean, it, it kind of exposes, I guess, the difference in, in the way some people view the game. Um, but Burns has just had such an awesome year uh, to, to lead the, the league in, in shots and, and obviously put up great offensive numbers. 
drive possession. You know, to me, he's Joe Thornton uh, was blowing some smoke when he said he's the best player in the world right now, but he wasn't exaggerating too much because to me, he is the best defenseman in the league at this point. Yeah, I mean, he's on on an 82 game pace of 30 goals, 80 points, and like 325 shots. And I, I love I'm looking at the list of defensemen that have ever done that. It's Bobby Orr five times, Paul Coffey, Ray Bork, and Doug Wilson. His GM did it once, and that that's it. So I mean, once you're kind of you're not even comparing him to his peers at this point. You're comparing him to just like historically great defense seasons. So I think that it'd be a travesty if he's not number one on pretty much everyone's list at this point. Now, do you sense since Doughty got his Norris last year, is there less of a undercurrent that, that sort of scores have to be settled and we're going to ignore performance when it comes to picking this? Or, I mean, you, you got your, your boots on the ground a little more than I do in that regard. Well, the, the funny thing is I honestly think that you know, the voters seem to generally be kind of late to the party with this stuff. And I could see Eric Carlson getting a, a lot of love this season just to sort of make amends for what happened last year. Even if, you know, I have Carlson second on my list right now, so it wouldn't be, you know, completely disappointing. But I, I just think that, you know, Burns might get shafted again just because it's it's not, quote unquote, his year, um, which, is, which is just a funny concept to me. Right, it's like the echo of screwing up last year that they have to give Carlson one more this year or something. Yeah, no, but no, I mean Carlson. Listen, like he's he Burns is having such an insane season that it's getting lost in the shuffle a little bit. But I mean Carlson has like the same number of primary points as Burns as Dowdy has total points. So um, right. Carlson Carlson's pretty clearly number two. I think that the surprising guy for some people might on my list that's number three is uh, is Dustin Bufflin right now. Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't even have him on my list of five. Oh You're man, have to make, th- make make your case, my friend. Well. Here we go. Um, in terms of all these guys, like everyone, every, every all the top defensemen that would be in consideration here, um, the, he has the biggest uh, discrepancy in terms of how the his team plays with him on the ice versus uh, when he's not out there, and and some of that could be uh, team effects and and you know them not having great options beyond him. But I mean, he's leading the league in ice time right now, which I think would surprise some people, and and a lot of that was early in the year when Truba was out, where he just was playing thirty night thirty minutes a night constantly, but. I mean, he just—he's just amazing. I feel like we sort of take him for granted a little bit because you think of him as as this this big burly guy that's sort of a you know a, a gimmicky offensive type, but he's just insanely good at everything, and he eats a ton of minutes, and he's very productive in them. And I don't think there's a very clear cut third guy beyond Burns and 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 uh, Carlson right now. I think Victor Hedman is making a case for it, and if if the Lightning get healthy, he could definitely uh, produce a ton of points to insert his name into this race. But I think that. Bufflin sort of sneaks into that third spot for me. Gotcha. It's funny you stole my Victor Hedman because he was going to be my guy that's kind of creeping into this conversation. You know, they're finally going to go from the guy everyone says, you know, future Norris candidate to maybe current Norris candidate. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, and then I, I, I had Hedman fourth, but I could definitely make the argument that he could be third there. And then, and then I had Dowdy fifth, but I'm pretty cool if you want to make an argument for a guy like Mark Giordano, who's also had a, had a pretty good year himself. Right. Now, this isn't part of the conversation, but I'm going to freelance. Where are you at with Subban and Weber and their performances this year? Um, <laughs> who's, who, who's, who's done better, do you think, this season? Not, not to win the Norris, but just in general. I, I, think, I think it's... It's nothing's really changed, honestly. I think that, you know, Weber got off to that great start, but a lot of it was just the fact that 
you know his goalies were playing insanely good while he was uh while he was out there and, and they weren't giving up any goals so his superficial numbers were being boosted a little bit but it's come it's it's leveled off as the year has gone along and listen I, I think that Weber's a perfectly fine player. He's a very good defenseman. This sort of stuff happened last year with the with the Carlson Doughty debates as well, where it's like, you know, there was so much pushback against Drew Doughty winning it that sometimes people lost the plot a little bit by making, you know, extreme arguments just to try to make their case that uh, Drew Doughty's not actually that good. Like, yeah, Drew Doughty's really good, and and Shea Weber is is still a really good player who, if you use him correctly and and sort of play to his strengths rather than uh, his showing off his weaknesses, he can be a very effective defenseman. But I, I still think that I would much rather have Subban, all things considered, and and I, uh, not, nothing nothing that's happened this season has changed my perspective on that. Okay, I was just checking in, just in case. Right has has has, uh, has your opinion on it changed at all? No, I wouldn't say it's changed, but I, I'm maybe coming to appreciate some things about Weber a little bit more than than I had. I mean, certainly he's you know the the, the Habs have not been scored on very much when he's on the ice. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously he's helped their power play a lot. He's, I think most of his goals have come on the power play, and that's been a bonus. So, you know, maybe I can see in the short term why the, the trade is, is one that the Habs are willing to make. But, you know, if I was still choosing between the two uh, for my team, I'd, I'd be having Pete. Yeah, I think that's a good point, though, that sometimes gets overlooked because Weber is sort of, you know, viewed as more of a traditional defenseman because of his physical nature and how he doesn't necessarily skate that well. But he does have a legitimate offensive impact, particularly on the on the power play with that shot. And that's something that when we whenever we discuss his case or where he stacks up against other top defensemen, we don't really ever really uh, consider that that often. Exactly. And I know it's something that Montreal valued and, and continues to value about him. And, you know, again, it doesn't doesn't make up for the trade necessarily, but, you know, it is an area that he's having a positive impact for them. And, you know, obviously they're, they're trying to win a Stanley Cup right now. And maybe, who knows, maybe that sort of thing could, could help get them over the top in the short term. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's get into the – we have two awards here left before we uh, before we sign out. And let's get into the Vesna. Um it's 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 Devin Devin Dubnik's world, and we all live in it right now. I think. Yeah, I don't I don't even see a debate at this point. But yeah. I mean, man, what a season this guy's had! It, the the rise of the former Oilers has been pretty interesting. Even Sam Gagne finding his niche with the Blue Jackets, and yeah. now Devin Dubnik having a, a really good season uh, again in Minnesota. And um, you know, he's he's been a, a difference maker for them. I believe they're among the, the team leaders in, in save percentage in the league, and obviously he's an individual leader himself. Mm-hmm. And just just hard to hard to poke any holes in, in what he's done because it's, he's played the minutes and he still uh, you know has put up numbers that exceed uh, anyone else around him. Yeah, I mean he leads in in, in every category: five on five save percentage overall, you know, quality start percentage, shutouts, goals against, like whatever whatever your cup of tea is for goal, goalie analysis, he's probably at the top of the list. I think where it gets interesting is after that because I have like four or five names here that I'm willing to hear arguments on for which guy should be uh, second, which guy should be third, and so on and so forth. But uh, where, where where are you leaning right now? Well, I, I would say this beyond Devin Dubnik, it's hard to to highlight anyone else in the Western Conference among this discussion because uh, the East seems to have most of the the goalies that are putting up numbers. But you know, my next was uh, Sergei Bobrovsky mm-hmm. um, in the, the the battle of winning streaks. I guess the two goalies have had a pretty big uh, impact this year, and then at three, I had Carey Price. Yeah, 
I think the interesting thing about Bobrovsky, and I had Price and Bobrovsky interchangeable there at 2-3, is I'm very curious to see how he holds up this season because he's never played more than, I think, 58 games in a season, and he's trending towards over 70 right now. I think, uh, I think only the Oilers and I think the Sharks have used their backup goalie, uh, more infrequently than the Blue Jackets have thus far. So, I think it would be wise as the year goes along and they've banked some points here to, uh, you know, slow down a little bit with Bobrovsky's usage and maybe give McElhaney or even call up Corpusalo and give him some starts because, uh, I think that, you know, Bobrovsky has had injury concerns in years past and it's sort of derailed in the past few seasons. And I wouldn't really be playing around with that too much if I were them. No, especially since they're actually going to be playing games in mid April and beyond, it looks like. So, I mean, having a having a view towards the long term is, you know, is positive. It's funny. I think I've noticed more of a trend towards, you know, teams in general being, you know, reluctant to play their goalies on back to back nights now. Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen an, we've seen an evolution here, and I don't know if it's just because of some of the stats that have come around or or what. But you know, there's there's not very many teams that that are playing goalies like they used to, frankly, even five years ago. And Bobrovsky is one of the outliers so far this season. Yeah, I think we're definitely seeing. I mean, we, we used to have that era with guys like Kiprasov and Brodeur where they would just be playing like 75 games a season. And we're just, I don't think we're ever going to see that anymore. Yeah, it's funny. Joe Bowen, who's the Leafs radio color guy, or play by play guy rather, got really mad at me because he heard me suggest that the Leafs should keep splitting the goalies on the back to backs. He said, well, it worked for Glenn Hall and all this. And I was like, oh, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> I mean, look, just look at the performance league wide. I mean, there's there's a reason for it. And uh, you know, especially teams like the in the East that, that play a lot back to back, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to to risk you know injuring your your you know the guy that I mean Bobrovsky's clearly been a big part of the Blue Jackets' success. So if he goes down, their 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 season outlook uh, changes uh, dramatically. Yeah, I mean especially if if you are a team with you know bigger picture aspirations and you're hoping to play twenty something playoff games, you you definitely want to limit the guy to somewhere between sixty to sixty five starts in the season. I feel like that's a, a little bit of the sweet spot right now. Um you mentioned the Western Conference. I actually have Corey Crawford in my top five. Um oh, nice. I know I know he missed a little bit of the season with that with that injury, but I mean, his five-on-five save percentage is just incredible, and I think that his overall numbers are have been submarined a little bit just because that uh, penalty-killing unit in front of him was so bad at the start of the year. But I think that what he's done, just the overall package, has to warrant at least some consideration on this list. Yeah, I mean, he's now for sure in, in any discussion about their core players. I mean, I think that there is an idea when they they won you know some cups with them that that he just was along for the ride, but. You know, when you look at the way that team performs, to me, they're they're not as formidable as they once were. But he's helped keep them among the best in the conference because you know his play has been so good. So, you know, I'm 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 can accept that argument that that he's worth the top five for sure at this point because you know he's been pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, no, that that was the case last year as well, where the performance in front of him declined, and he definitely was was they were relying on him to win them games much more than they were in years past. Um, the last guy I have on this list in my top five, and you know, this is just a, a Bruin centric podcast, but I think Tuukka Rask uh-huh. needs to be on this list. I'll, I'll accept that too. I mean, he had a great start. We've seen him kind of uh, slide back a little bit, which is to be expected, but. Uh, you know, and I know that, you, that you're wearing a, a, a spoked B right now somewhere in your apartment <laughs> in Vancouver. So I, I'm not surprised to hear you put Duke on the list. Well, the, the, the thing that 
is very impressive to me about his uh, resume here is just that you look at his numbers versus the numbers of every other backup they've tried to play when they when they've given him a night off, whether it's been Malcolm Subban or Zayn McIntyre or Anton Hudobin, and they've just been an absolute mess whenever he hasn't been in net for them. Like I think he's hovering somewhere around a nine thirty almost for the season, and then without him, it's like an eight sixty or an eight seventy. It's been it's been horrible. So I think that you you know that has to count for something, just the fact that how much he means to his team. Right, and, and you know he's probably well positioned to get a bit more love. With with you know you pointing out that the Bruins, in general, should get a bit more luck. He's going to you know produce more wins, and mm-hmm. you know he'll probably if they climb up the, the Atlantic standings, get a little bit more attention for his, his season as well. Yep. Uh, let's finish off the discussion with uh, with the heart. Um, McDavid versus Crosby is pretty much how this is going to be. Uh, how this is going to shake out at the end of the season, I think. Yeah, and to me, if you're going by the spirit of the of the award, it has to be McDavid because mm-hmm. you know the player judged to be most valuable to his team. I mean, there's there's not really an argument there. As great as Crosby's been, you know that McDavid is, you know, has you know far inferior teammates and has had such a big impact on the Oilers' success and put them in a playoff position at this point. To me, it's it's sort of a slam dunk for him, and and you know it's tough to say that. I mean, Crosby's scoring. Just you know, what point nine goals per game, you know, this year. But yeah. you know, he's also got Getty Malkin and Phil Kessel in the top ten and scoring along with them. And you know, I, I just don't think the Penguins rely on him to the same degree for their success as, as Edmonton does with Connor. Right. I mean, I will say that at the beginning of the year with Crosby out, it was def- it was like it was pretty clear that how much they missed him. Like he he makes so many things happen for them just by elevating guys like whether it's like a Connor Sheary or a Brian Rust or whoever whoever happens to be playing with him at that given time. Like he makes it's not just that he's so good, it's that he instantly elevates like two or three more other guys along with him for the ride. So Crosby is amazing. But I think that even if you go, you know, we always have this most valuable player versus most outstanding player debate. I think if you like search up the, the word outstanding in the dictionary, I think Connor McDavid's picture shows up. So I think, you know, either way you go with this, I think you could make a very strong argument for, for McDavid winning this award. Right. But I think if you remove the team aspect in your judgment, I mean, Crosby season, I don't know where it's going to go because it does look like, you know, he's probably riding some unsustainable shooting percentages. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for him to put up this kind of goal scoring season and if it were to continue, I think that there's there's a, a strong argument for him because you know it's, we've seen so much of him and we've seen so much greatness from him, but it's a new kind of greatness again. Um, you know, I, I I just think that ultimately voters listen to the. Uh, can we just change the award? I mean, it's such a strange way to look at it. I mean, if the Oilers miss the playoffs, will McDavid look as will, will, it, will that change the view of it? You know what I mean? I, I just find it complicated when we're not just judging who the best player in the league is at that season. Yeah, I, th- I feel like if the Oilers missed the playoffs, it would definitely hurt McDavid's chances just in, in, ter- in the eyes of the voters. But I think that's a mistake. I mean, it's, exactly. It's the, the, sp- the splits with and without him are for the Oilers as a team are, are very jarring. Like they're without him, they're, they're there's been all these arguments about you know how guys like Chris Russell and Milan Lucic and whoever they've brought in has changed the you know the way this team plays and and done all these little intangibles to fix things. But at the end of the day, none of this would be possible without McDavid. And you just look without him, they're pretty much the same Oilers as they've been in the years past. Really, the only difference is that they're so good when he's on the ice that it's kind of just dragging everything along with him. Right. It's it's hardly a sexy opinion, but I, I've been lucky I've been to six or seven Oilers games this year. And man, like you just can't, even if you didn't know anything about hockey, I feel like 
you, you, he would stand out to you. Like there's no, there's not even nuance there. He's just so impressive when he's on the ice. Even the shifts that, that not a lot ends up happening in terms of results. I mean, uh, he just puts the other team on its heels. And and you know, there was once a debate three months ago. You know, is this going to be the year he's ready to take over? And basically, from the puck drop, he's done that. So, you know, he's he's been awesome and. and you know he's clearly the next best player in the in the world, and Crosby's trying to fend him off as long as he can. Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, well said, uh, CJ. Man, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on to chat, and um, I hope you have a, a happy and safe New Year's Eve celebration. And uh, I'm looking forward to chatting with you in 2017. Sounds good, Dimitri. Thanks for another year, pal. Absolutely. Talk soon, man. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.